take off. <laughs> Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you, Lord, for my story. Thank you, Lord, that my story is what it is because of you. Lord God, you have done something amazing in my life, and I give you the praise and the glory for that. And Lord God, I just ask that you use my mouth tonight to share that story in a way that will inspire and encourage. Lord God, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So first of all, I want to talk about the words that God gave me and the pictures that those words represented and then how they became a dream. Secondly, I want to talk about my life's experiences in relation to these words, in relation to these pictures, in relation to this dream. And then I want to share about the fact that my God dream came true. <laughs> which is pretty cool. So the word, the picture, the dream. When we think of a word, you remember how Pastor Stephen talked about how that um, when he, he doesn't think in German or English, he thinks in pictures. And um, so when God gave me some words in my early Christian walk, it was the pictures that they became, which was pretty exciting. Um, remember the quote from uh, D uh, David Yongi Cho that we heard about last week and this morning that says that the language of the Holy Spirit is dreams and visions someone once said that uh, God's first language is not English <laughs> it's good isn't it God's first language is not English I suspect it's probably dreams and visions because that's where they all start so I want to tell you about three words that I, can dis that I distinctly remember. I'm sure there's lots more, but there's three particular words that I distinctly remember that God impressed upon my heart as a young Christian. And these three words all represented pictures. And the first one was missionary. When I was 16 years of age, I left high school. And at the end of high school, you have to fill out this leaving form. You couldn't go until you filled out the leaving form. You never got the ticket to leave until you'd filled out the form. And on that form, it says, we want you to write down or tell us what you plan to do when you leave school. And my last year in school was the most amazing year. And both, of, well, how do you have an amazing year at school? I had an amazing year at school because it was in God. And it was absolutely amazing. I would, I, I, would, I would go out to youth group knowing I had a biology test the next day and I'd come home and I'd, and I'd go, okay, Holy Spirit, let's study. And, and, I, and, and, and I should have been asleep because I had school the next morning. I used to have to bike two miles to get to the bus stop, and, um, so which meant I had to leave early. And, and, and so what I found happened in those 20 minutes, the Holy Spirit would just give me understanding of concepts. So instead of rote learning... I was understanding concepts. And off I went to school the next morning, did my test, got 75%, which I thought was pretty good. <laughs> I, I had an amazing year in, in my sixth form year. It, um, God told me I wouldn't have to sit UE, that, that, I, that I'd pass it. And, and that's quite a good, good thought to have. Because in my day, you did sixth form exams at the end of the year. And if you, if you did okay, then, then you got your UE accredited. If you didn't, you had to sit UE exams as well. And nobody wanted to do that because typically they were harder than the ones at school. And, and, so, and I remember the Holy Spirit saying to me, Annette, you won't have to sit your UE. You'll get it accredited. And I, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm with that. And, uh, and, and my marks and my, and, my, and my exams were amazing. And I know it's because I studied with God. And he and he gave me he gave me understanding of concepts that that were just incredible and and um, so yeah my my sixth form year was pretty cool I was absolutely in love with God of course he helped me get UE <laughs> we had fun times and um, and so here I am filling out this leaving form and going what on earth am I going to put there is no career I could possibly think of that I would want to do I just want to go full on for God. And the only word, the only word that I could think of was missionary. Now, the picture in my mind, you have to understand, was little old ladies going off to foreign countries. <laughs> so that wasn't a good picture. And I said, no, and, and, I, under, and I understood that, that it wasn't necessarily about going to another country. It was, it was more about the fact that I wanted to go full-time for God. And, uh, and, and so that's, little did I know that was the seed of a dream. And, and I didn't know that until this year. <laughs> the, second, the second word, that the, the, second word that, that the Lord put on my heart was Annette, you are S-A-S. Um, and, and in my mind at the time, and it may, may have been because of the movies I'd been watching, but S-A-S meant to me one of those, you know, 
cool guys, soldiers, that went in behind enemy lines to rescue people. Um, I'd watched movies, and that's what they did, and they were unafraid, and they went beyond the boundary, and they, and, 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 and they rescued people. That was my mind, and I know, I know that it's, you know, SAS stands for Special Air Services, and, and they were this, you know, um, commando force operating behind enemy lines that started back in 1941 or something. And, and, um, but they're actually, you know what, they're an elite armed service, and they're highly trained, and they undergo torturous training, I've heard. I suspect the purpose was to ensure that there was no personal agenda left. I also suspect that there was an absolute resolve and single-minded focus to accomplish the mission at hand. They absolutely understood authority, and they absolutely understood teamwork. Why? Because their very lives depended on it. And as I said before, that word SAS put in my mind a soldier going in behind enemy lines and rescuing someone. And, um, and, uh, and the, the first thing I think about when I think about that now is the word pioneer. And uh, somehow we've got some pioneering in my DNA. <laughs> And, uh, and what does pioneer mean? It's a groundbreaker, not willing to accept boundaries, pushing against limitations, leading the way and not giving in to fear. <coughs> Very similar to an SAS person, I would imagine. <coughs> Excuse me. The third word the Lord impressed upon me as a young Christian was preacher. Often in my quiet times with the Lord, you know, those times where you're just enjoying the fellowship of God and, 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 and the Holy Spirit and uh, just kind of, you know, daydreaming just like pastor's been talking about and floating into your heart or mind or whatever it was was, Annette, I want you to preach. And, and your natural, when you're in the spirit, that sounds really great. But when you get into the natural, you go, that's just a big joke. You know, I'm this farmer's daughter. I'm number six out of seven. Uh, you know, I'm, I live out in the country, for goodness sake. And, and God's saying, I want you to preach. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, right. I will just we'll enjoy that while I'm having my God time. And when I get on with my life, we'll just, that'll be, that's just sweet. <laughs> those were the three or four words that God impressed on my heart during those precious times with him over um, those early years of my Christian walk. But you know what? I didn't know what to do with them. I never got any teaching on how to work with those things that God gave you in your quiet time. Nobody told me what to do with them. Nobody told me how to get them out of that prayer time and into the natural realm. So they remained in the prayer time, and I got on with my life. All right? But, <laughs> but the interesting thing was... You know, we talk about how the natural mind doesn't understand the things of the Spirit. I've actually got a, a, a reference here. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, <clears throat> it says how the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. <clears throat> Excuse me. These things certainly felt like foolishness to my mind. All right, how can I mean SAS? What what on earth are you thinking? You know, <laughs> have no idea what these guys go through with their training. What 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 on earth was I thinking? And and besides, how was they how were they ever going to happen? How, how could they ever happen? I had no plans for for a career. I certainly wasn't going to varsity, and I just wanted to go full on for God. And, and, and so, you know, the, the, there was this conflict going on. And, um, you know, when you, when you think about the fact that, you know, you've got self-doubt, you've got low confidence, you've got low self-esteem in the natural, <laughs> in the spirit, you've, you've got all that stuff. But it's transferring it from one to the other that became a challenge for me. We've been hearing some excellent teaching over the last few weeks on dreams, and one thing that Pastor Vanessa said was that the natural mind is where people struggle. That's where we struggle. And that certainly was the case for me. But you know what? We aren't a natural mind, she said. We're a spiritual people. We're a spiritual people. And when we get a hold of that, 
suddenly the impossible is possible. I, um, I love the story in Luke chapter 1, 26 through 35 when we read about Mary and uh, she's this young woman who gets visited by an angel and she's been told she's going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit and have a child who would be the son of God, the saviour of the world. We'll pick up in verse 34. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. I've never had relationship with a man. How can it happen? You know, in our terminology, we might go, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, can you imagine for a moment, young woman out here, if God said that to you? Yeah, right. See, that, that was her natural mind thinking. That, 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 that was the mind that was saying, you know, it, it's impossible. But then when you read in th verse 35, the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be, bo to be born of you will be holy and, uh, and he will be the Son of God. This, of course, is in the spirit realm where things are possible. You have to understand that when you spend time with God, when you spend intimate times with the Lord, you will conceive. And what you, con what you conceive is holy. You might not realize it, but God does. And those words that God put into my heart, as far as he was concerned, they were holy. I didn't get it. Not yet, anyway. <laughs> the devil will try anything to stop whatever is birthed in you from being born. That doesn't make sense, does it? What you've conceived within, he'll do whatever he can to stop that being born. Remember when King Herod heard about this king being born? And he said, and jealousy just filled him. And he thought, right, we've got to get, we've got to get rid of it. So he said to the wise men, come on back and tell me where that new king has been born that you're talking about. And uh, the wise men got told by God to, to not go and tell him, and they went off on, on home. And when he realized that, that they had tricked him, he said, he said, right, we'll just kill all the boys under two. That way we should get it. Fortunately, an angel of the Lord had already visited Joseph, and they were off in Egypt. The devil will do whatever he can to stop that which is holy inside of you and me from being born. His attack on my mind, it was in my mind. I understood that these words, these pictures and these dreams were not my idea. They were God's idea. I never thought of those words. If I hadn't realized they were God's idea, I certainly wouldn't be up here telling you about them. In Romans 11.29 it says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. <laughs> they can't change. Once called, always called. I could do nothing about that. Try as I might, and there were times that I did. <laughs> I, I, I can remember saying to God, you've made a mistake. Change the video. You know, it's not my story. And, uh, but you see, the calling of God is, 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 is it will not change. It, once called, always called. So the sooner we get on board with that, the better, right? <laughs> My thinking had to change. I had to learn to think as God thinks. That's why we've got the book. That's why we've got the Holy Spirit. That's why we have God-anointed leaders in our lives and those who we can be accountable to. They help us to change our thinking. Remember Pastor Vanessa said about the God dream in us. The biggest challenge God has is not the power factor. It's not the enemy, but it's our thinking. It's convincing us that it's God. It took a while for me to be convinced. I had to get out of my small thinking. Farmer's daughter, number six of seven, living out in the boondocks. You know, I had to get out of that small time thinking. And of course she said, once you're convinced, you're unstoppable. I have to say right now that I am unstoppable. God has put something in me that no one no matter how hard they try, could stop. 
I felt, though, like years were wasted because I didn't know what to do with those words. I didn't know what to do with them. I didn't have the teaching. Praise God for a church that teaches the word, that teaches us who we are in God and where we can go. This is a church that focuses on who God is and what he's doing and who we are in God, not on who we aren't. And I love that because I always leave here built up. And I... Um, so be grateful in case you're thinking of not being. <laughs> I needed to be like Mary who said, be it done unto me according to your word. See, she got it. Be it done to me according to your word. I haven't got a clue how it's going to happen. But be it done to me according to your word. I needed to keep the picture alive. Jacob did with the branches we heard last week. Abraham with the stars and with the sand, the sand and with his name. He kept it alive. I didn't know that. No wonder it's taken so long. I didn't know that. I needed to speak it out. I had to believe it first and I didn't know that. But despite my lack of understanding, God was still at work. And that leads me to point number two, <laughs> my life's experiences. <laughs> These experiences, I believe, are both confirmation and their training. What do I mean by that? That our lives' experiences confirm the word that God's put in our hearts, but they're also part of the training, part of the SAS training. It's not always pretty. My life's experience confirmed the words that God had showed me, confirmed those pictures, confirmed those God dreams. <laughs> but they also proved to be great, a training ground to grow and to develop and to build my character. The pioneer or the SAS person was evident in the way I did life. <laughs> That's who I was. I was raised on a farm, and when you typically are raised on a farm, there's this absolute can-do attitude about everything because you don't always have the expert at hand. So you've got to figure out how to do things and my dad taught me lots of neat things, you know. He taught me how to weld. But don't ask me to weld now. <laughs> he taught me how to weld. He taught me how to drive a tractor, a truck, a motorbike, a horse. He taught me how to do so many things. He showed me how to wire up an electrical plug. <laughs> I had a cool dad. I still have a cool dad. But you know what? It's interesting because my family farm was the first farm in the local area to get a milking machine. They were pioneers. It was in my DNA, whether I liked it or not. I also discovered I had a natural bent for numbers. I remember mum used to collect for the leprosy mission, and I was always, please mum, I really want to count the money. And we'd have coins all over the bed, all in little piles, all neatly organised. I loved it. I loved having anything to do with money. It's not that I loved money for the sake of money. I just loved working with it. Um, <laughs> so it wasn't long before I was doing the books for the business, the books for the church, and the books for the school. And uh, I mean, you know what? They were all in manual cash books. So on the job, five minutes, and I thought, there's got to be a better way. So we bought some financial software. You've got to remember, this was new in those days. Everyone did their finances in cash box. So I got those things onto the financial software. Didn't have a clue what I was doing, but I knew it had to work because I was an out there person. Go get it. Go find the better way. Push through the boundaries. I found that in every place I worked, I ended up pioneering something, starting something new, plowing ahead, totally unafraid of change, always wanting to make things better, always believing that there's got to be a better way. And then there was the little preacher inside of me that kept popping up. <laughs> you know, I remember when I was at Sunday school as a kid, I used to look at the teacher and go, I want to tell the stories. I want to be the one telling the stories. I can't wait till I'm big enough to tell the stories. And then, of course, as a teenager... I used to go on these wonderful walks down the farm with God. Oh, farms are great. If you weren't brought up on a farm, I'm convinced you've missed out. There's, I used to go on these wonderful walks down the farm with God. And, and if per chance I happened to work, walk past the cow paddock on the way home, guess what? I told the cows all about God. 
The coolest thing about telling cows about God, or telling them about anything actually, is that they're curious creatures and they gathered round. <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> it appeared that they were listening. <laughs> I didn't care. I just wanted to tell someone about God. At high school, <laughs> I was always so excited about my life and God that my best friend never heard the end of it. Just constant. Oh, and guess what? And then, of course, we had this Christian meeting going on once a week, and I was always keen to get up there and tell someone something about God. At 16, I went to a kids' camp. We ran these Christian camps, and, and I got to be a leader. And uh, it, it, it was awesome, actually. And, and then it was our night. Our, you know, like I was the leader of, of a cabin of girls, and it was just um, 11 and 12-year-olds or something like that. I felt really big. Um, because I was 16 <clears throat> and they were only 11 and 12 <laughs> stupid really isn't it but, <laughs> but it was our night to share, to share the devotional time every cabin had a turn and, and so, so I got the girls around I said okay we're going to talk to God about what we should do and so we prayed and, 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 and we felt like God said we should do something on love so that was cool um, the girls practiced their song, um, We Don't Know How to Love Them, from Jesus Christ Superstar, and with their little guitar. And, and, and I thought, well, it's bizarre when you think about it, and I, and, I thought, and I thought, okay, now I just need to know what I'm going to talk about. So I left the girls practicing and walked to the hills around about the camp and said, okay, God, what are we going to talk about? And, and I prayed, and I prayed really hard, and, and I just had such a sense that the Holy Spirit said to me, Annette, I just want you to open your mouth and I'm going to fill it. There was silence. I said, well, that might be fun for you, <laughs> but, but for me, I don't get that. And so I continued to work, walk the hills that afternoon, trying to convince him otherwise, but how many of you know that you can't actually change God's mind? <laughs> and by the end of the afternoon, I, I too thought, you know what? If he said that, then that means he's going to do it. And so we got, we got together after dinner that night in the camp lounge area and the girls sang their song, I Don't Know How to Love You from Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> and, I, and I got up and uh, opened my mouth and God filled it. I have no idea what I said that night. Everyone else thought it was fantastic and kids got saved all over the place. God is true to his word. He said to me, Annette, you will be a pioneer. You are SAS. You will preach. He's true to his word. He's true to his word. Isn't that awesome? Now, where am I up to? Praise the Lord. And then, of course, as a mum of two young children, I got involved in Sunday school and taught for years kids. And, uh, and I wasn't satisfied with sticking to curriculum, which probably is not a good thing but always wanting to share something of the heart of God. I wish I knew what I knew now back then because I probably would have told them different stuff. But God is still faithful and he still wants to do stuff. And then, and then of course, in recent times, there's rack power. I ended up working for rack power most of the week and, uh, and because that little preacher kept popping up, it, you'd often find me in the assembly room preaching to whoever would listen <laughs> which of course was really good because the people in there always wanted to listen and um, I still got my work done mind you <laughs> yeah because I was the boss <laughs> then there was the training aspect of my experiences when we moved down here to, um, to Lower Hutt uh, uh, a number of years ago we, we, had, we, you know, we found it really hard to find a church and and, and subsequently we didn't get back into church when, when, when we first moved down here and um, unfortunately it was nine years before we got back into church and that's a little bit too long to wait really and, uh, and I certainly don't recommend that to anyone it's probably the worst nine years of my life but somewhere but somewhere in the midst of that I probably had about nine times with God in those nine years there'd be this little spark because it's not that I turned completely my back on God it's just that it's just that I didn't have a vital relationship and, and I wasn't connected and, 
and when you're not connected and you don't have a vital relationship, there's only one way, and that's backwards. But every now and then I'll have this, this time with God in the midst of those nine years, and, and guess what he told me? Annette, I want you to preach. And Well, that was even worse than before because I wasn't even in church. And, and, and you, you know, what, like preach at the treasury? You've got to be joking. Nobody even knows I'm a Christian. And um, so I, I kind of pushed it down even further. And, but I knew in my heart that until I started to fulfill those things that God had put in me, I'd never be completely satisfied. <coughs> it's interesting, you know. I thought in those nine years that I'd completely missed it. I thought that that I'd missed the opportunity to ever be, to ever preach or to ever be the things that God had put in my heart to be. But God's just recently shown me this wonderful picture and um, I love jigsaw puzzles and so God often will use things that you love to show you things. And, and he said to me, he said, the body of Christ is like a great big jigsaw puzzle and every piece represents a person. And the, every piece is unique and no one can fit your spot except you. And, uh, and that goes for all of you here tonight. No one can fit the spot in the puzzle except you. And we all form part of the same big picture, but each, each spot is unique. And it was almost like my piece had just fallen off the table. God was doing the puzzle, and he picked me up again and put me amongst all the similar colours ready for when I'd be put into my place. I thought, I thought that's an awesome picture. So he used these experiences to train me. I, uh, I then got a job at the Treasury. I have no idea how I got that job. I was completely and utterly in unbelief that I could even apply for the job, but it was my sister who believed in me, and she said, of course you can apply for that job. And I got the job and ended up being one of the best at it. And I don't say that boastfully, it's just because the gifts rise up inside of you. And so, I of course, it wasn't enough just to do the job. It never is. Not for me. I wanted to change things and I wanted to make them better. It wasn't long before they gave me a, a role in the finance department and they kind of gave me free reign and said, here, make up your own job. And, and um, of course, there was some constraints. But, but, but within that, I was able to actually pioneer some stuff and, and um, always, always looking for better ways to do things, always looking for, uh, you know, always wanting to push through the boundaries. You see, that pioneer, that SAS, that, that go hard, go get it thing kept rising up, even when I wasn't in church. Um, but then my life took a big turn. <clears throat> it was actually this month, November, five years ago, and I stood in front of my ranch slider at home, our ranch slider, which is about to be taken away to replace with a better window. I stood in front of that ranch slider and I... I, I, said, I, I said to myself, I hate my life. And um, for all intents and purposes, people would have thought, what is she talking about? She's got a wonderful husband, two great kids, a neat house with a wonderful view, an excellent job with good pay. But you know, there was this big void inside of me that none of those things could fill. And it was almost like a hole that was getting deeper and darker by the day. And I said, I hate my life. I just, I hate my life. And this voice rose up inside of me and said, well, you know what to do. Isn't it funny when spirit communicates with spirit, you don't always, you know, it just happens instantly. You know what to do. And I just, I knew, I knew instantly. And then I was reminded of a scripture in Revelations 3, 3, 3, 3, 15 and 16 that says, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. So then because of your lukewarm, because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That's quite strong language really, isn't it? But you know what? I actually agreed with God on that. Living lukewarm was pretty awful. Living a lukewarm life where you're neither hot nor cold was just disastrous. It had no satisfaction whatsoever. You couldn't be bad because you knew too much. 
<laughs> and you and for some reason you weren't hard out, you know. So so I had this choice: either go cold or hot. Well, that was really easy. I couldn't go cold because I knew too much. So there was only one choice, and that was go hot. And I said, God, I'm going to go flat out for you, and I'm not going to look back, and I'm not going to stop. And uh, and you know what? <laughs> I said, no matter what the cost, the cost has been interesting, but we won't talk about that tonight. <laughs> but I went, you know, I went flat out for God from that night on. And uh, I felt almost like the Holy Spirit had arrested me that night. And I'd been running, or not running anywhere actually, going around in circles, probably more to the point, so fast that the hole was getting bigger and, and deeper. And... and and, and, and so, and, and here I was, and, and, but when I cried out and I said, I hate my life, that was like a cry for help to God. And it's like when I said yes to him, I'm going to go hard out, it's like he picked me up and completely turned me around and put me down again. And so that flat out nature of mine was now going in the right direction. And that's exactly how I felt. When we initially moved... Um, and, 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 and because we'd been out of church, kind of church wasn't in our thinking. So we decided with this new life in God that we'd just live on Joyce. Joyce Meyer. She was great. We could tape her and replay her. Tape her and replay her. We had her on kind of, you know, remote control. Um, and, and, and we thought that that was fine. I was having absolutely amazing times with God, living on Joyce. Great three months into that and God spoke clearly to us and he said you cannot do this without being connected okay right we'll get connected you better show us a church and he led us to victory and uh, the minute we walked in here we knew it was home and some people said to me my goodness you, you, you guys just hit the ground running that's because we were already running and God just had to tweak a few things and go, you know what, it's not going to work unless you're connected. You know why? Because God's a family man. And everything has to be done in family. And church is our family. So, in true Annette style, I approached church the same as I approached everything else. Flat out. <laughs> it's, um, it's interesting, actually. I think about... I, I, I made a decision well in fact I didn't make a decision because it was never in my thinking but I was never one of these people that wanted to be a spectator I, I wanted to be on the field in the game and, and that's another picture that God showed me he said how when, when, we, when we become Christians we become part of the winning team um, but the thing is if you have to turn up for training you know, these guys that are in the All Blacks, they don't stay there unless they turn up for training. And the, and the training is the coming to church. It's coming to small group. It's doing your prayer time, having your, God time, having your God time in the Word. That's what the training is. And it requires commitment. If you don't do that, you'll end up on the reserve bench week after week after week. And I was not about to do that because I want to be in the game it's much more fun when you're in the game and the ball gets passed to you and then you get to pass it to the next person and you win. There's something about the guys that have been on the field compared with the guys that have been on the sideline. I don't want to be a spectator in church. I don't want to sit on the sideline. Playing the game is being in ministry. That's what playing the game is. It's getting out there and, and getting together with the team and getting things done. So we, uh, we joined the church. We signed up for cleaning <laughs> because we knew we could do that. These people didn't have a clue who we are and, and really, to be honest with you, I didn't even know who I was in God. I just wanted to go full on. Um, we enrolled in every course we, that, that came along because we thought, well, this is what you do when you're in the team. And then God spoke to me at four o'clock in the morning it's a good time for God to speak to you because your head's not full of other stuff. Um, and he said, it was this loud, it wasn't an audible voice, it was just a very loud thought. And, and I knew it was God because I wasn't properly awake. 
and and the and and the vo- and the thought came through my head, going, Annette, I want you to leave Treasury. And um, w- was w- was this God telling me to leave a job that I loved, and I was really good at it? And um, and the first thing that popped into my mind was oh, full time ministry. <laughs> well, I mean, it's daft, really, when you think about it. I mean, where was I going to do this, and what I was going to do? I have no idea. And so I said to God, well, okay, so what is it that you want me to do when I leave Treasury? He said, I want you to come home and help Peter with the business. And I went, oh. <laughs> but I knew that I knew that I knew that it was God telling me to leave Treasury. And, uh, and so I left. And, 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 and then, I mean, before the conversation was over, I was thinking, great, Okay, right, I'll get Peter sorted out, no problem. We can change the office, I can change the way he does things, he needs changing anyway. We can fix this, we can do that, we can fix this, you know, and, and just this, this whole Annette thing came up again. And it was, but I had no idea that uh, what God had in mind was to change this thing. You know, God was going to the, use the experience working for Peter to change me because there was some training that needed to be done. Quite a lot, in fact. (laughs) Jesus talks about us as being branches in John chapter 15, and he says, I'm the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more. I've grown to love the correction and the training of the Lord. Granted, it may not always be pretty and it won't always be comfortable and it won't always seem pleasant at the time, but the results are awesome. We do become more fruitful. We do become more useful in the kingdom of God and who would want it any other way? I slowly began to learn what it was to surrender to Peter's vision for the business, to his way of thinking, It wasn't actually about me after all. It was about me helping Peter. My personal agendas went out the back door. And in usual enthusiasm, I threw myself into helping him. We opened a new premises. We set up assembly staff to make our products. We trusted God for absolutely everything. We trusted him for the building, for the staff, the how-tos and the what-nexts. God was in charge. And then it was Peter, and I followed along somewhere behind. God taught me about his divine order. Awesome. Our husbands have a God-given authority, he told me, that I don't have. (laughs) Get used to it, honey. (laughs) But you know what? He told me about the authority that I had, and it was different to the one that he had. And I learned about surrendering to that. I learned that God gives, uh, whom God gives oversight, he gives insight. God had given Peter as my oversight, therefore he would give him insight. And you know, it's the same with our pastors. Sometimes you might think, oh yeah, but they're just ordinary people. Well, they might be, but there's an anointing on them. And because there's an anointing on them to, give, to have oversight over you, they'll get the insight that they need to give you. It worked with... It, you ask, I, I tell you, I'd ask, I'd ask Peter things with an expectation that he would have the answer. And I'd go, honey, what are we going to do about this? And I'd say, I'm expecting the answer from you because God's made you the boss, therefore you'll get the answer. And it works. It's great. It's fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. You know, when I was making power strips... At, the, at rack power, you know, you've got to put, you know, the, the blue wires and the brown wires and the green wires, and they've all got to go in the right spot. I'd, I had no electrical qualifications whatsoever, but Peter taught me how to make them. And there were times where some of them were so complex, I couldn't understand why you would wire some things a certain way. But I still did them the way he told me to, and they always worked. And there was something about authority that I was learning There was something about trusting the person over you when it came to even that process. So it was good. I loved it. (laughs) I've also had the wonderful privilege not only of sitting under someone with oversight, but also there's been people that God's put under me 
and they've asked me for wisdom and I've and God's just it's just dropped into me to give to them. How does that happen? Because when you've got an anointing with an oversight, an oversight anointing, you also get the insight. That's how it works. It's so cool. It works like that in a marriage. It works like that in your home. I discovered that. It took a while, but I did discover it. I don't know how many years I had to work at Rack Power to discover that. I think it was four. Jesus knew what it was to surrender. He said, I do not speak except that I hear whatever I hear the Father speaking. I do not do whatever I do. I only do it because I see God, do, the Father, doing it. He was completely surrendered. I was learning about surrender. I'm sure I've still got lots more to learn, but I was learning about surrender. I had learned to let go of my personal agendas. After all, God's agendas are much, much more exciting much, much more exciting. God's agendas are eternal. Ours aren't. You see, it didn't matter where I was or who I was working for or what position I was in. The SAS, the pioneer, the preacher kept popping up. And in the midst of all those experiences, God was training me. These valuable lessons that, that I learned set me up. They set me up for fulfilling my God dream. They set me up with a good foundation, like what Pastor talked about this morning, that leads me to point number three, which says that God dreams do come true. I got to preach at this church. <laughs> when, <laughs> when Pastor Stephen asked me to share uh, a preaching night with um, Pete Smith and, and Marty, he will never know what went on inside my, inside my spirit. No one probably here, no one would have ever known what went on because something was happening. There was a fulfillment of a God word, a God picture, a God dream that had been there for a long, long time. And, uh, and I remember, you know, um, I remember getting up that night and sharing my little heart out with something that God had already given me, so it was busting to come out. And, um, and, and I remember someone came, came to me afterwards and they said, so Annette, your first time, how was it? Were you nervous and was it hard? And I said, not at all, because I've done it a hundred times already in the spirit realm. I'd already seen myself doing it a hundred times, probably more than that. And then there was CAP. <laughs> While working at Rack Power, I noticed a growing love for people, and especially those in, in need. It, it, it just grew stronger and stronger on the inside of me. Understandable when you've got the love of God inside of you. That, that's, that's a natural thing that's going to happen. And we took on a new staff member who had, had not worked for a long time, so... Um, for her, it was a whole new ball game. She had to, she had to uh, learn new work ethics. She had to, uh, you know, she needed lots of love and lots of support uh, um, getting back into the workforce. And so, but you know what we did? We just loved her to Jesus, and she became one of those willing listeners in the assembly room when go out there and preach my little heart out. So it wasn't long before she was born again and filled with the Holy Ghost, and her life has completely changed. Isn't that awesome? We, uh, but I found, you know, uh, that one wasn't enough. And all through last year, 2007, I kept saying to God, God, I need to be able to help more than one person. And, and I couldn't see, which is probably naughty of me, but I couldn't see the business growing that fast to be able to accommodate my need to want to help more than one person. And... Um, and so it was Christmas 2007 and we were in Sydney spending Christmas with our children who both live over there and, uh, and Peter was reading a book by a guy named John Kirkby all about a charity who helped people in financial difficulty and he was getting, he didn't even tell me what was in the book, <laughs> he was getting really excited about this concept of, of the local church being able to go into a community and help people in need. I, I, I didn't actually hear about it until just about when we got home. Meanwhile, Pastor Vanessa's at home praying about what about me, I guess, and God's saying that he, you know that He wants to use me in the community in terms of, of, of financial, you know, in the financial area. 
whether it was courses or budgeting or, or, or I can't remember all the detail. And I'm, and I'm going, okay, well, that's interesting because Peter's reading this book about uh, charities, uh, you know, that helps people in fire. I feel like piggy in the middle at this point. You've got to remember I'm still in holiday mode and I'm not getting it. <laughs> and, and so I, I, I thought, goodness, I better get, um, I, I, I best do, do some praying, right? Um, find out what's going on here. And, uh, and so that's exactly what I did. It was interesting, actually. It was interesting because this charity had just arrived in New Zealand. It's, it's quite supernatural how this happened. We're, we're in Sydney in December. The, the couple from the UK arrived in New Zealand in November. We're in Sydney in December. God's talking to Pastor Vanessa in December. Uh, talking to me on the phone, very, very excited. And, 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 um, and I've still got to get excited. And it's all good. So they had arrived in New Zealand ready. They were ready to start a, a, a charity. These guys had never been to New Zealand before. And, and, but they had been preparing for two years before they got to New Zealand. And, and, and so here's, here's us in Sydney and, and God's sp uh, speaking to Pastor Vanessa and, and I'm going, okay. And so there's this supernatural events happening, right? And we ring up these guys in, in Auckland. You, you, you have to understand, they've come to New Zealand. They don't know New Zealand at all. They've never been here. And they're thinking, we're just going to pick a couple of churches in Auckland and open up some centres because we didn't even know what's outside of Auckland anyway. And, and, and then Pastor Stephen brings a word to our church. And he says, you know what? We are a pioneering church. And we're going to break into new levels this year. And we're going to break into new levels in our ministry. We're going to break into new levels everywhere you can see it. We've broken into a whole new level upstairs. <laughs> we, we're a pioneering church. Christians Against Poverty were looking for pioneering churches. Peter gets on the phone or the email or whatever when he gets back and says, Hi guys, we're really interested in what you're doing. And, and they flew down here. They got a witness in the spirit straight away that we were a pioneering church and they were looking for pioneering churches. And it wasn't long before in our discussions deciding whether we were going to go with us or not that everyone was pointing at me saying, you're the obvious person to be cap centre manager. And I'm going, really? <laughs> Sometimes we can be a bit slow. <laughs> and, and, and of course, I just went home and prayed. I prayed really hard. And I said, God, what's going on here? I feel like I'm being set up. But it's a God set up. God set ups are always good. And then he reminded me about all the scriptures he'd been telling me about the poor. He reminded me how I'd said to him all through 2007, God, I want to help more than one person. I've got to be able to help more than one. I've got to be, my life depends on it. It was an ache in the side of me. I think I was about to give birth. I didn't realize that. And uh, so it became clear that I was to be the CAP Center manager. I discovered that God was about to fulfill some dreams. God was about to fulfill those words that he had spoken into my life all those years ago. I absolutely loved God and people. I worked well with people at all um, le levels, whether they were top management or junior staff, any job I went into, I worked well with them. Um, I was happy working with the desperately needy people out in our community, as well as talking to bank managers about where it's at. Not a problem. I was happy dealing with numbers. I dealt with millions in the, in the treasury. They didn't phase me as long as they balanced. It doesn't matter how many zeros, as long as it balances. I got to running a Christians Against Poverty Centre out of the church gave me a wonderful opportunity to reach into this community. A wonderful opportunity. What was I doing? I was going behind enemy lines with a lifeline. I was being SAS. And you know what? I sat in a meeting last Saturday with John Kirkby and he was sharing with the centre managers from, from the five um, centres and he said... He said, you centre managers are SAS. You go, you go behind enemy lines and you throw out a lifeline. And I just went, you what? <laughs> and, 
and I remembered the word that God had said to me all those years ago. Isn't that incredible? God knew what he was saying when he spoke those words into my heart all those years ago. He knew what he was doing. I might not have, you know, twigged for quite some time, in fact, but he knew what he was doing, and he spent those years training me and getting me ready for this. So in summary, as Pastor Vanessa said a few weeks ago, everyone has a dream. Every one of you has a dream. If you're not sure, just get some more God time in. Get some more daydreaming time in the spirit in. And because um, he wants that dream of yours to become a reality. Just like he's made mine a reality. <laughs> he wants you to, he wants to take you places beyond your wildest dream. I would never in my wildest dreams or imagination thought about me working in the community in the way that I am, impacting our community, impacting our nation. Never in my wildest dreams. I was a missionary. Remember that word back there when I was 16? I was, I'm a missionary into the community. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Don't fight it with your natural mind. Surrender it and be a yes God person. Just say, yeah, okay, I, I, I surrender. Just, just be it done to me according to your word, Lord God. I have no idea how you're going to do it. I have no idea when you're going to do it, but do it. I'm all yours. God dreams do come true. I've seen it in my own life and in lives of others. And I'll continue to see it because he's an awesome God. <laughs> before I was born again, I was just an ordinary person. And before each one of you were born again, you were just ordinary people. But you know what? We've got an extraordinary God that lives in the side of us. And together we do extraordinary things. Isn't that awesome? So Father, we just thank you for my life and you, Lord God. You're the one who's made my life an absolute joy to live. You're the one who's made my story awesome. Thank you for making my life into something useful that I can, uh, that, that I can impact the world around about me. Thank you for making me a history maker. And Father, I thank you for the dreams that you've put on every single person in this room. Lord God, dreams that they could never imagine, things that you want to fulfill. Father, open the eyes of our understanding that each one of us would see just how great we are in you. Give us the courage to grab hold of these dreams with both hands and believe what you say about us. Father God, give us, the, give us the eyes to see that what you say about us is actually holy, just like you call it holy. And Father, we determine to go for it. We're going to go for it. We're going to be go for it people, heart out. Father, we just want to give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.